Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Good Music Podcast. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. Thank you so much for tuning in once again. Uh, we hit a huge milestone this last week. We've hit 25K total listens. Whoa. Okay. Wow. 25,000. So It was like, what, a month ago where we were just at 20, right? Yeah. So we're, we're growing pretty fast. That's great. And that makes me very happy. Um, our new episodes are doing very well. Soundgarden, big, big hit. Oh, not, wait. Did Sound, Soundgarden came out... Two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Yeah. Okay. And now we've got... No. Yeah, 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 yeah. I forget, <laughs> I forget sometimes yeah. where we put this, but yes, mm-hmm. it did. And then... Tom, Tom Petty came out Tom Petty's the most ago. recent one. That one's yep. doing very well as well. Cool. So, yeah, we're at uh, 25,000 total, which is really... Oh, there's a nice graph on our anchor page. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I always I look at this every day and just kind of track how everything's going. Um, we also have our next episode to cross the thousand play mark. Which is? Red Hot Chili Peppers. Ooh. Oh, and Slipknot. No way. Yep, well, okay. so both of them did. I actually... I, so, I let's a, see. Uh, easier time believing Slipknot would. Um, well, no, I would disagree with that. They have some pretty loyal... Yeah, but also the Red Hot Chili Peppers is such a huge band. Uh, Slipknot is only yeah. three yeah. plays behind the Chili Peppers. Wow. Oh, wow. Which is, that's that's how our uh, Metallica and Pink Floyd episodes competed for a long time. Oh. <laughs> they were always like neck and neck with each other. Who won? Although, um, better be Metallica. yeah, Metallica is... Don't say better. <laughs> you ask me, Pink Floyd's the better band, but, uh, you know, because Pink Floyd's in my my four pillars, four pillars, and Metallica's not. Well, I don't have a four pillars, but Metallica would probably be closer to the four pillars than Pink Floyd for me. Yeah, well. They just they have really good songwriting, you know. I think you need to go listen to our Pink Floyd episode. I do. And, and hear what the fuss is about. Yes. And if you haven't listened to our Pink Floyd episode, you should as well. And Metallica. And Metallica. And Slipknot. And all And Red Hot Chili Peppers. And Just, all of them. We've got yes. so many great episodes for you to go check. And uh, if you're liking the episodes that you're hearing, please hit that subscribe button on whatever platform that you're listening on. Whether that be Apple Podcast or Breaker or Google, Stitcher, Anchor. Wherever it is, hit the subscribe button. We have new episodes that come out every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Central. Uh, So if, for say, this week is not your favorite band, go check out our back catalog or just wait for next week. We kind of like to keep things diverse. Right. So, um, (laughs) and leave us a comment. Leave us a review. Let us know who you want us to look at next. Um, We... Have an episode that's going to be coming up soon that uh, was requested specifically for us to do, and we are... Uh, yes, I think that's going to be next episode for mm-hmm. the listeners. Maybe. <laughs> it's it's all a slew now because we record yeah, some of the parts out of We record ahead, so it's... Yeah. You know, you're, you're, act- you're yes. absolutely right. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, leave us... <laughs> We're we're so professional, can't you tell? Yeah, stay tuned for that because that's one of my favorite bands. Yeah, so yeah, let us uh, 
Let us know what bands you want us to do. We will definitely take suggestions. Sometimes it's hard for me to decide. I kind of just go with who do I feel like doing mm-hmm. this week. Right. And so um, if we have some some opinions going, then that can definitely help us choose who to look at next. Right. And pretty soon I'm going to start uh, kind of going backwards and doing some volume twos on some bands that we've already done. So check out those as well if we are you're looking forward to some of these bands having a little bit of a deeper dive right and also there in every episode description there is a link for you to send us some uh charitable donations to help us better and further this podcast um there is a option to give a monthly uh pledge and what that'll do is it'll help us to uh, upgrade our equipment, get research materials, and overall just allow us to be able to put more into this podcast. So whatever whatever is being sent, we're dumping it right back into this thing. So Yep. And it's all for you guys, for the listeners. Yes. Uh, I, I want to think I'd still be doing this if you guys weren't listening, but you guys are, and I really appreciate that. So um, rate, comment, subscribe, share. Um all the things. All the, th- all the things. And keep listening. Yes. So, we've got uh, we've got some big news to talk yes. about. And I'm really proud to say that I was aware of this news before Lucas told me. Well, should we start with that? Yeah. Let's start was, with that. Yes. Okay, so I just found out about last night that we talked about Ghost in one of our previous episodes mm-hmm. quite a while back now. Yeah. And how Tobias Forge, the front man, has different characters that he plays. And we finally get to see another character who, well, he's a evolution of an existing character. Yes, Papa Emeritus Papa is back. Papa Emeritus the fourth is here. And he's the, I guess, fulfillment of Cardinal Copia. Yes, so the way that I saw from the video was that like, Cardinal Copia is dead. And that um, they, I don't know if he's dead or if they've, like, like coronated him. I think it was a coronation, yeah. It was, it was an anointment. Okay, because it kind <laughs> of, like, when I saw the close-up of the, of the mask, it looked like it still had, like, the, those sideburns. I don't know if it's just because they were on stage and he didn't mm-hmm. have time to, like, take off the mask and put a mm-hmm. new one on. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But it's always a big deal. It's kind of it's like when Slipknot unveils their new masks for right. the album cycle. Right. It's now starting to become a new um, hallowed tradition with Ghost to see how they're going to introduce the new uh, mm-hmm. the new figurehead. Yep. And I really like the design. I don't. You don't. <laughs> I don't. I really don't. Well, <clears throat> I should say as soon as I saw it, I was like, "What in the?" world this just no but it fits cardinal copia's personality of being kind of flamboyant and, yeah. and very different uh-huh um and so him being one of the papas makes sense as far as if if those of you listening would actually go and look up what papa emeritus the fourth looks like in his full gown you'd see what i'm talking about it doesn't really look like you know papal mm-hmm. garb yeah, but it At actually as as it looks more visual. papal than um, Papa Three, aka the Pope Star, mm. because Pope Star it was it was it was the um, Ooh, he was it a, was just the mask and like the black suit. Well, yeah, okay. 
um, I would say it's more in line. It's I would say it's the most in line with number one, as far as just kind of how how flashy it is and how much detail is on it. Because the number two, which I would say is the most iconic one, mm-hmm. is a lot a lot more simple. Yes, it's just the pure black gown. And yes, the, you know you see still got the hat and the mask, mm-hmm. but like you look at number one, there's all these like symbols over it. And there's more color, mm-hmm. and it's kind of a a return of the first incarnation, but obviously with a, um, a finer sheen to it. So, yeah. and we also have confirmation that 2021 is when the next record will come. Yes. Out. Yes. I got that information from Loudwire and you keep praising Loudwire. Yes. So, I mean, it's, it's a great source of, it's information. a great source of information, obviously, because I, um, I learn a lot from them. And what was that announced yesterday? Yeah. I March well, 4th. I saw it yesterday morning, and it happened the previous night in Mexico City. Okay, so so it was at it was at the it was the last show of the prequel tour. I found out about last night. Yeah, so I I woke up that morning, checked the news feed, mm-hmm. and it was right there. Yep. So uh, yeah, so it's a pretty fresh announcement. We don't have any like official pictures yet. We don't have any you know pro shots of him. I don't know if the nameless ghouls are going to change up their look uh-huh. as well. Uh-huh. I think they're due for one. Yeah, um, they are. And I'm just really curious now to see how the music's going to match the new persona, what direction they're going to take it in. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty exciting, and I'm really excited to see what 2021 has in store for Ghost fans. Yep, especially as I've started to delve deeper into their stuff. Yeah. I think. It's the perfect time to because there's it's not overwhelming in – and how much stuff they have yet. Mm-hmm. They've only got four records, a couple EPs. You know. It's manageable yeah. to get and into them. There's a positive linear track of how well they're doing. Mm-hmm. Their albums have gotten better and better. Yeah, and so, I agree. Prequel is the best one, I think. Right. And and Meloria is awesome, but prequels fantastic. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so. All right, so let's go ahead and talk about the band for this episode, which is... The Doors. Yes, The Doors. Yay. Okay, so... Um, they're from the sixties. Yes, right. Little, little bit, bit of the, yeah, a little bit into the seventies. Okay, um, that's what I would have guessed. Sixty-seven to seventy-one. That's the time frame that they existed in. Okay, or at least that they properly existed in. Right, and you had mentioned earlier that they were only in existence for a few years. Yeah, very short window. So that was only uh four years. Okay. So, so, but man, did they make the most of that time? And right. I, I would say that right. they're one of the most influential bands of all time. Okay. Meaning? Just that they, they were right there as popular music was radically changing and were a key okay. component of it. Right. Because 67, they were 67, 71? Yep. So okay. that first album came out right as the Summer of Love was kicking yes. in, and boy, did they benefit from it. But mm-hmm. at the same time, they didn't just happen to be in the right place at the right time. They had a radical new sound that people had never heard before. Right, okay. Well, I mean, I don't know a lot of 60s music, so I wouldn't be able to tell you if it changed anything, because I don't know what it changed from. So, we'll oh, we'll but, talk about it. Okay. Good. We'll talk about it. So... And, um, if you go look at our Beatles episode, which I'm not sure if you've listened to that one before, that one. Uh, you'll definitely want to, as well as you listeners also, that the 60s, you look at the history of Beatles, that's almost kind of like looking at the history of the 60s. Mm-hmm. 
Um, obviously, a couple years gone from the beginning because they came all around in 63, but mm-hmm. went all the way and then broke up at the beginning of 70. Right. Um, but they, their music charts what was going on in society. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of ways, society influenced them, and then vice versa, they in, influenced society. Yes. Yeah, they were I, very I was much, about to say, it's probably the second one. They were, <laughs> it's, it's a combination of both, but I would say the second was a little more prevalent. Mm-hmm. So, the British Invasion came around in 64, which is when all of these British bands popped over. Right. So, the Beatles came first, mm-hmm. then the Rolling Stones, the yeah. Animals, the Kinks, the Who... And really led a musical revolution. Um, revived rock and roll after it had the first wave had died out at the end of the 50s. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a story for another time. <laughs> yeah. And just really um, was pushing popular music into places it had never been before. Because you listen to 50s rock and roll, uh, it's great, but all the songs follow the exact same formula. It's just a it's more of the interpretation of how the singer approaches it. The lyrics are a little mm. different, but it's the same chord structure pretty much. You've uh-huh. got the same drum beats. That is bland. Oh, my. Because they're all following the 12-bar blues progression for the most part. Right. And so, you know, I am not the biggest 50s rock and roll lover just because I listened to it and I was just like, okay, I feel like I'm kind of hearing just a lot of this. There's not the creativity hasn't really entered yet. Yeah. Which, um, when the Beatles came, they were kind of the ones that were just like, okay, we can expand rock and roll from where it was and right. inject all of these new ideas and influences into them. Mm-hmm. We're gonna borrow from what's going on at Motown and soul music. Mm-hmm. We're gonna borrow what's going on from pop music, and you know, we're gonna throw in some some old vaudeville and some theater music and circus music mm-hmm. and eastern music right and just kind of let's just see what we can come up with right and so um you know you look at the beatles early career and it's all you know teenage pop music although much smarter pop music than what had been written before and you get to the mid 60s and you can start to hear them really challenging musically and lyrically, what rock and roll and pop music is. Mm-hmm. They start to get smarter. They start to get more philosophical and deep. Right. Instead of just, you know, I love you, I want to hold your hand, they start <laughs> looking inward at themselves. They look at um, these, they create these characters that aren't, you know, people in a love story, but rather, you know, people in everyday lives just trying Leave to... Leave on. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you, you you start having songs like that, you know, Eleanor Rigby mm-hmm. and uh, Doctor Robert. You know, it's just mm-hmm. these these characters that you know are the whole point isn't just you know they these two want to get together and fall in love. Right. And then in '67, it's kind of where it all comes together. The big moment being Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Mm-hmm. But there were a couple very important albums that came right before it including Jimi Hendrix's first record which right. completely changed guitar playing was that the one with all along the watchtower no that oh, was man. electric lady i really love on. that song but that <laughs> album had purple haze and hey joe foxy lady oh, wind hey. cries mary okay so big big record yeah pardon me <clears throat> 
And then also you have the Doors' first record. They were kind of the first uh, band to really ignite the Summer of Love. So if you don't okay. know what the Summer of Love is, yes, that was when the hippie movement really um, became a cultural force in America. Uh, I wouldn't say it was the beginning of the hippie movement, but it's the first point where it dominated the culture of the right. time mm-hmm. and really swept up a large portion of the youth. Mm-hmm. You had the Vietnam War that was really kicking in at this point. And the, the hippie movement, a big part of it was protesting the war. You know, we need love and peace. And if we all had that, the world would be a better place. Uh, you also had a lot of recreational drug use. Right. That's, well, yeah. But the reason that they were um, was because they felt that uh, drugs like marijuana and LSD and these, the ones that specifically were mind-altering drugs, they were searching for enlightenment. They thought that taking these drugs would put them on the next plane of existence, that they right. would solve the, the mysteries of the universe. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Summer of Love was like the point where everyone was super – just like, yeah, we can do this. We can change the world. Mm-hmm. You know, We're going to rise up. This is going to be the new normal for everyone, and um, our, our love – for each other and for mankind and for the environment and the planet uh, is going to bring us world peace for all of eternity. And oh, we're going to do nice? and we're going to do that by smoking a lot of pot and doing a lot of drugs because that's how we're going to figure out this the secret. So, needless to say it didn't work. No. But <laughs> the summer of love it was it was by 68 and 69 it became very apparent that that's not how the world works right and people realize that the drugs don't bring you alignment in fact they do quite the opposite they make you a, a, at least specifically lsd they just completely destroyed people's minds yeah and sent them to the darkest places imaginable yep sid barrett oh yeah so well okay on that note um <laughs> So it's so, a little history for you guys. It's important <laughs> to know the context of where the doors fit right. in because if you don't, you don't truly understand why their music sounds the way it does and why they were so impactful. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about who the doors are. That I don't know, but I think there are four of them. There are four of them. Um, so drummer? Drummer is John Densmore. And there's a guitarist. Yep, Robbie Krieger. Of some capacity. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a bassist. Nope. There's no bassist? No bassist. Okay. Um, then there'd be a keyboardist and yep. vocalist? Uh-huh. Rayman Zarek's keyboard player and the bass player. So okay. He, so he had a double keyboard rig and he would play the bass with his left hand and play all of the melodies with his right hand. Oh, so he was playing keyboard bass. Okay, yeah. gotcha. Now, in the studio, they actually did have a bassist come in to you know make it sound, but whenever they went on tour, no bass player. Well, that's where metal gets it, I guess. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, no. You're, you're just thinking of Injustice for All. Uh, exactly. And, and maybe some, like, sections of, like, hardcore extreme metal. Like, yeah. Pig Destroyer doesn't have a bass player. Well, and then, you know, it's, it's the stereotype that the bass is really quiet. But, um, anyway, so... And then you've got the most yeah. important, iconic member of the band. The vocalist. Yes, which is Jim Morrison. Uh, I've heard that name. Yes. Jim Morrison, Hmm. one of the most iconic rock stars of all time. Partially so because he became one of the big members of the 27 Club. 
I don't know what that is. Ah, yes! Oh! So, some more information. So, the 27 Club is a notorious group of musicians that have died at the age of 27. Ah, Juice World. Most of the time due to drugs or some kind of alcohol substance abuse. So, other... Burton? No. No, he's 27. No, but he's not part of 27 Club. Because he did not die under those circumstances. Oh, you really have to? Oh, my goodness. It's, it's the reason you become part of the 27 Club as a tortured artist that creates his own destruction. Okay. So these are, this is Jimi Hendrix. Well, he just chose the wrong card. This is Janis Joplin. <laughs> oh, sorry. This is Kurt Cobain. Oh, right. Amy Winehouse. Um, oh, I'm blanking on his name. Um... Uh, what first first guitarist for uh, the Rolling Stones lead guitarist I would Brian know. Jones okay um he was kind of the first member of the Twenty Seven Club we'll talk more about that hmm. when we eventually do a Rolling Stones episode okay um Robert Johnson the, it, uh, the original Crossroads uh, yeah early nineteen yep. hundreds blues guitar player yep Club. okay I guess technically he's the first member right um and there's there's plenty other more minor but, you know, Jim Morrison was a... There's kind of like the big three, because they all died pretty much within a year of each other, was Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison. Mm-hmm. All died in 70 and 71. Huh. But it's kind of... it's In a way, it's immortalized him. So that would be why the doors didn't continue. Yes. Okay. When he died, I mean, they released a couple of, you know, instrumental records. They released some stuff of this, like, cleaning out the vault. Right. Um, but, you know, it's not like they got a new singer and tried to continue on. Like, they pretty much, once he died, they split up and did their own thing. Mm -hmm. Um, how many albums did they end up? There, I want to say there's five. So there's the self-titled, there's, um, Strange Days, Mm -hmm. um, then there's Waiting for the Sun, Soft Parade, Morrison Hotel, L.A. Woman. So six. So six. Oh, okay. Six and albums. L.A. Woman was the last one. Yeah. So I um, can hear it. Okay. So that was six albums in four years. Because a couple of times they made two albums a year. That is a pretty good pace. Yeah. So the thing that took Jim Morrison out was his alcohol abuse. Okay. He literally drank himself to death. Mm. Was found in a bathtub in Paris mm. after a night of binge drinking. Um, but when they started out, he was a truly revolutionary lead singer mm-hmm. because he was kind of the first madman front man. Hmm. Like you hear it in the songs that where he's kind of yeah, doing you that, hear it that, a little that, bit. that screaming that just kind of, you can tell that there's just in, not in the some, first song. Yeah. There's just something quite not together. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, He's known oftentimes as the Lizard King. That's kind of like his <laughs> his nickname, based off of a poem he wrote, where he proclaims, "I am the Lizard King." Um, you don't even know my real name. He's I'm the a Lizard King. Sorry. Yeah, he's <laughs> he's the Mad Poet, um, and he's so he's also the band's main lyricist. Although Robert right. Krieger also uh, contributed. Okay. In some very significant ways that we'll talk about later. Um, but he was just, he was, he was the focal point of the band. It was, he was the one that the audiences were drawn to. Gotcha. Um, he, the way he dressed was very forward. 
like mm-hmm. kind of the first to wear you know the leather and just kind of have mm-hmm. that you know almost kind of like the first rock and roll sex symbol that um that embraced it and kind of used his his sensuality as a marketing tool mm-hmm. um you know just he was a just that that very um it's almost a very greek hero looking face mm-hmm. just very i can't even i can't even describe it just you know iconic absolutely right. iconic and the way he presented himself the way that he the way he walked the way he talked he was a tr- it was almost like he wasn't one of us mm-hmm. and he was you know elvis to a certain extent was like that but he was kind of the next step even more so than any of the beatles were the beatles very much presented themselves as kind of normal guys mm-hmm. and didn't um you know they considered themselves more artists than stars mm-hmm. um and even also the the rolling stones yes became that but they kind of weren't at the time they kind mm-hmm. of elevated themselves more than the late 60s and into the 70s like Mick Jagger and Keith Richards yeah. um and you know you hadn't had someone like Robert Plant yet who I think was you know followed in Jim Morrison so if you think mm-hmm. of how Robert Plant was Jim right. Morrison was that first okay if that gives you a good comparison Okay, yeah, I can see it. Um, or I can hear it, I should say. Yeah, so he was one of the biggest things about The Doors that really um, was influential and very forward-thinking as far as where music was going. Mm-hmm. He really set the template for the outrageous singer or the outrageous rock star mm-hmm. to where he would, on stage, just like go into these fevered panics of just rolling around on the ground screaming and you know like (laughs) shouting crazy stuff to the audiences um getting in fights completely undressing himself on stage um you know calling calling people to riot and revolt that's a lot of alcohol yeah and he also did a lot of lsd that'll that would make more sense Mm -hmm. oh my goodness yeah and he also really took lyrics to another level. You know, you had you had the poetry that was already in place with Bob Dylan. Right. But he was the first one to take that poetry to a really dark and tortured place. He was the first visibly tortured artist when you look at his words. Mm-hmm. He he brought in a darkness to rock and roll that hadn't existed before. Hmm. Even the Beatles hadn't gotten to that place yet. Um we don't particularly get too dark in this selection of songs. It's something that I want to explore when we come, return to yeah, the doors. Yeah, I was about to say, listening to these songs, I don't hear that. But. Yeah, um, I kind of stuck a little bit more with the um, with the iconic work, mm-hmm. but you listen to some of the album cuts, and it's just like, oh my god, how did he get away with this? Yeah, okay. So you look at songs like The End and When the Music's Over, and um, it's just kind of like, gosh, dang, I, this is the 60s? Yeah. And it really, it really showed where, where music could go. Mm-hmm. Um, and just that Heather had been nothing like it before. And then I also wanted to talk about Ray Manzarek a little bit. Ray was kind of the first superstar keyboard player. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. as far as just someone that was not a singer, 
Right. So it's not someone that was known for singing and playing, you know, like you had your Jerry Lee Lewis's, your Little Richards, your Ray Charles. Yeah. Um, even Paul McCartney and um, these people that, you know, they sung, but they also played keys. Ray Wayne Zarek just played the keys and also played the bass technically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was kind of like the first major keyboard player and kind of brought keyboards to the forefront of rock and roll mm-hmm. where before they were kind of either a texture or a background instrument. Um, in a lot of ways, the keyboard was more important to the doors than the guitar was. I can hear that because, uh, especially on some of the songs later when they'll have solo sections, the keyboard will take the solo first. Uh huh. Or they would get the longer solo. Yes, that's, that's true. And, and we talked about, Ghost a few episodes ago, you can tell the guitar is more important than the keyboard because the guitar takes the solo first on Cerise. Uh-huh. And so, um, and, and I did notice that, especially listening to these songs, that there's a lot of different keyboard sounds as well. Yep. And there's even, like, pianos in some of them and mm-hmm. keyboards. And so, I don't know if necessarily was he the first to experiment with different keyboard sounds. No, but... the, the Beatles were. Okay. But he, again... He made it a a spotlight instrument for the first time because he was okay. he was first of all he was one of the first to be talented enough to be able to handle that burden. Mm-hmm. And then you think about the fact that he's playing all that stuff while at the same time holding down the bass, mm-hmm. and it's truly incredible. I saw a uh, a video of him explaining how he came up with the keyboard line for "Light My Fire," mm-hmm. and he's playing that keyboard that intro keyboard line with his right hand, playing the bass on his left hand, and talking. At the same time, mm. not looking at what he's doing, and he's not, you can't tell that he's like kind of having a trouble. He's just talking, just like, yeah, and so I just woke up one morning and just thought that, you know, it was, it was like, are well, you. Well, he's probably played it a hundred times. Still, though, like, that is not an easy thing to play. The timing's weird. The His right and left hand are doing completely different things. It's still just like, it's an incredible skill. Yes. And it's not like the doors have, like, Constantly toured since the '60s. That's true. Because I haven't seen him. Because I, I'm fully convinced that he could have done that in the '60s as well. He was a lot older. Yeah. He was a lot older than the rest of the band members. Oh. Um, he was kind of the original member. You know, he's the one that partnered up with Jim Morrison. And was like, hey, you know, let's make a band. Uh-huh. And they found John Densmore and Robbie Krieger later. Um, right. And. He's he's my favorite aspect of the band. He's kind of the part mm-hmm. that that satisfies the musical part of me to where I listen to him. I'm just like, yeah, you go, Ray. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, he passed away in 2012, 2013. Mm. Uh, but uh, John and Robbie are still alive. So half the band's still around. Mm. But yeah, they... They came in at the beginning of the Summer of Love, really kicked it off and set the stage for the Beatles to be able to to completely... Revolutionize music. Revolutionize, but, you know... Like, I notice that you listen to classic rock radio. Yep. I can only recall ever hearing, like, two or three songs pre-The Doors, in particular, that Mm. I would hear. Something like Satisfaction or Painted Black by the Rolling Stones. Mm Mm-hmm. Maybe a Beatles song here and mm-hmm. there, um, but really not anything else mm-hmm. because it's, it wasn't the classic rock period yet. Right. And then, you know, but I hear stuff from the Doors first album on rock radio all the time. 
Mm. And that was kind of the first album of its kind to really show that music was changing. And of course, you know, you hear tons of... I hear tons of post-Sgt. Pepper Beatles stuff on the radio. Stuff right. like Let It Be and Back in the USSR and Revolution. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I hear that stuff all the time because right. it fits with everything else that you would hear on there all the way up to the 80s. Yeah. Um, but again, like it's very rare that you'll hear anything before. So I've always seen as Doors first album comes out and that's like, boom, classic rock period has begun because just about even everything though, that comes after it. Yeah. Even though it's not apparent yet. Yes. And you're saying that's, are you saying that caused it? No, I'm you're just, just saying that's, that's just something I've noticed. Coincidentally. I think so. I think okay. because again, there, nothing sounded like that when it came out. Yeah. And it showed where music was about to go. I think that it was it was one of those um, those foreshadowing records that okay. became really really big, mm-hmm. and just kind of showed okay this is what modern music's going to be like now. You know they they got their number one single off that album, and you know but at the same time it was it came out and people were just like whoa okay this is really out there. Uh, we like it, but you know, is this a is this an anomaly? And then Jimi Hendrix comes out pretty soon after that, and then they're like, "Oh, okay, you know, we're seeing that it's changed." And then Sgt. Pepper comes out, and it's kind of like, you know, once the Beatles do it, it's that's the thing. Now. Yeah, right. But you know, not to say that the Beatles did what they did because the Doors came out. They'd been working on Sgt. Pepper for almost a year at that point, so mm-hmm. they already knew what that record was going to be. Mm-hmm. So the doors happen to come out first. Hmm. Okay. So, with that, we'll go ahead and take a break here. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the song. So, uh, stay tuned. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back, everyone, to the Good Music Podcast. We are talking about The Doors on this episode, and it's time to talk about the six songs that we have picked. So, Grant, what do we mean by picking six songs? Um, well, what he means by we picking six songs is him picking six songs and oh, the rest yeah. of us listen to it. <laughs> um, but he, uh, Lucas picks these songs based off of uh, criteria that make sense in his head. Um, he wants to uh, create a emotional arc, a musical arc um, with these six songs that give you good representation of the artist's music. Um, as well as getting something extra from it if you'd already heard these songs before, but not necessarily in these are in this order. Um, I think that's everything. Yeah, and uh, the way that you can listen to these <laughs> songs is a description of the episode. There's a link to our Spotify playlist. You will find the songs there. And um, yeah, like yeah. he said, if you've never heard these songs before, or if you've only heard a couple of them, please go check them out. We would hate that you listen to us talk about them and then not know what we're talking yeah. about. And if you have, try to listen to them in this order because you might notice something different. Um, and there are a couple episodes where I've done that and I've noticed different um, musical themes that I hadn't seen before. So, 
Um, definitely go check those songs out. Um, our first song is Break On Through, parentheses, To The Other Side. Yes. So this was the, the first song on their first album. It was their first single that they released. This was the world's introduction to The Doors. Huh. That's a good introduction. So I figured that it'd be perfect for us to put as the first song on our set. It was a good first song. Um, this song, it... Oh, well, okay. So it had the... Uh, it kind of starts, starts like with, most of their songs. So just it starts with this, where, with this really cool groove that... Yeah, but it's got drums panned hard left, uh-huh. like everything very, else on this album. Very, very uh, typical of 60s recording was, because yeah. this was, uh, I want to say it was the year before, either in 65 or 66, that this, um, that this kind of uh, audio was first developed, where mm-hmm. you, it's not mono, it's stereo. Hmm. And the Beatles really experimented hard with this when it first came out on, I want to say on, like, Revolver and then eventually Sgt. Pepper. Revolver yeah. was the album that came before it in 66. Mm-hmm. Um, to where when you're, specifically when you're listening with headphones, you can really hear different things coming at you at different places. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of bands by 67 were uh, experimenting with, you know, putting specific things in one side and other things in another side. Yep. So if you don't have a balanced mix, it kind of uh, makes yeah. the listening a little less coherent. Right. You miss some things, but when you're listening to it in the way that it was meant to, then you really pull a lot out of it. And, and you notice that at the very beginning of the song, like the, the drums will come in and then you'll have the little bass line. Mm-hmm. Um, and before the guitar comes in, it seems like you're missing something in the right side if you're listening with headphones. Uh-huh. Um, but once the guitar comes in and it has that, which um, keys sounds so good on that big yeah, riff. Which that that rhythm is it comes up later in another one of their songs. Um, so I just found that really notable. And this this song verse wise is low dynamically, mm-hmm. and then it he or Jim Morrison sings the break on through to the other side, which I guess would be the chorus. Yeah. And then the band kind of suddenly has a bunch of energy. Uh Uh-huh, like they're breaking on through. Yeah, and then it's dead again, and then you have the next verse, which is really cool. Yeah. There's no build-up. It's a very dynamics, which is very um, showing of the doors. They're... Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's and Jim Morrison. He's just he's prone to explode at any point. He his way that he can go from so mild mannered to ferocious at the flip of a switch. Yeah. Turn on dime. I mean, it's just it's incredible. Yeah. Um. This was the this was the first door song that I ever listened to, knowing that it was the Doors. I had heard um, "Light My Fire" and "Touch Me" before, not mm. knowing that it was by them. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was the first time that I listened to a song knowing it was The Doors. So this is this was also my first introduction to them. Cool. And um, I would say that this is my favorite Doors song. It just it's it it's short. It's to the point. It really um, it just has a great groove. And um, this is our first taste of Rick Manzarek's great keyboard playing. Yep. A perfectly un an mm-hmm. understated keyboard solo you know just playing those chords and playing little variations around them yeah it just sounds really good yeah he changes the rhythm up a little bit at the end of the Mm -hmm. uh solo but for two minutes they really pack a lot 
Yes, they there. do. And it's probably due to the, the speed mm-hmm. that they play the song. Yeah. You th- something you'll find about The Doors is that either their songs are really short or they're really long. Yeah. There's kind of no <laughs> in-between. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we had, what, like three two-minute songs and then three seven-minute songs? Yes. Uh-huh. On this set? Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. That's, that's pretty similar for kind of their whole catalog. Is they, <laughs> they kind of sit in either camp. Right. Like, they even have several songs that are past the ten-minute mark. Oh, my. I um, mean... Some of their dark, brooding epics. Yep. Yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> Which, man, I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit later in this episode, but one of them I almost put... And I kind of just talked myself out of it the last minute. I think it was the right decision, okay. but oh, will we talk about it next time? Okay. Um, but I feel like that this song is such a it's such a bold statement. Yeah. Of first off, who the Doors are, because let's talk about why did they pick the name the Doors? It's such a random, like you know, the windows, the ceilings, <laughs> the carpet. Well, uh, they are introducing us to a new world it's They're exactly the it. to the okay they are they uh it's from a poem i can't remember exactly what the poem says or who it's by but i remember reading that because jim morrison was just really deep into poetry they're an american band yes okay. they are i have to make sure because we're in the 60s uh-huh. jim morrison is from <laughs> florida just like tom petty in our last episode look at that um and so just talking about how you know when you go through the doors of reality you see what the world's really like Mm. you know entering a new plane you know drugs obviously (laughs) where that's what people were trying to do which why this band was perfect for that era Mm -hmm. um but you know the doors saying break on through we're kicking that door down and we're going to the other side music Uh will not be the same after we make our mark i mean they were right Mm mm-hmm and I think it's just not only very symbolic of their career, but of just popular music in general. You know, music in itself was ready to break on through to the other side. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I also just lyrically and thematically, this is a great song to start our study of The Doors because it's it's a statement of what we're about to be in store for. Yep, that's a good point. And... Um, there's also a cool, and just this will really show you what censorship was like back in the 60s. That line where he yells, she gets high, mm-hmm. for 30 plus years, that last word was edited out. He would just say, she get, mm. she get, she get, and it's just, but you know, it's the original thing is she get high. And you, mm-hmm. you know, people were just like, you can't, say, that's a drug connotation, you can't <laughs> say. I mean, it's ridiculous to think today that they would censor something that tame when they don't right. even censor the worst of the worst now. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, that's also showing what they were pushing. They were pushing, you know, shocking lyrics. Yeah, I mean, like shocking for the time. Shock rock. Uh-huh. Uh, oh, man. <laughs> what they, what other things that they do on that first record, they just, they really push it mm-hmm. in a way that not even the Beatles were pushing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about that later. Um, but just, yeah, this was a band that was signaling a change. Hmm. Okay. So, um, so I think, yeah, Break On Through is, right. is the perfect way to introduce this and say, okay, this is, a, this is a band that's leading, you know, us into a new era. Right. Um, 
And then that transitions us to the next song. Yes. Which is off the album. Soft Parade. It's titled Touch Me. Yes. This was one of their biggest hits. I would say this is mm-hmm. like the third best performing single they had. Because they had two singles go to number one. This one made it to the top ten, but it didn't go to number one. But it was the only other song to make it to the top ten. This song was very close to being my favorite of the set. Ooh. I have a um, feeling I know which one your favorite is. I don't think you do, actually. Really? I, you'd be surprised. But, okay. Because um, I know which one it isn't. <laughs> not this one. Or the one before. Um, otherwise, I would have mentioned it. But it there's a lot of like brass section stuff going on in this one. Yeah. And I guess that's what I mean by... like, there's, Is that a keyboard part? No, they that's actually they act, keys. No, yeah. they actually got a, a, a horn band in there too. Huh. It's all over that record. So, Soft Parade is often considered to be their worst album. Huh. Uh, it was when Jim Morrison was just in the darkest pit of his addictions. Mm-hmm. Um, it was when he was having a ton of trouble with the law. Mm. Um, he got in pretty serious trouble when he um, exposed himself on stage. I'll do it. Yep. And, um, you know, just he was drunk for a lot of that recording. And they also had a really terrible producer who just, like, made them record the songs over and over and over again. That's not the kind of band that they were. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yes, if you've got a a coherent band, but when you that can work, but when you've got Jim Morrison that just, like, can't stay focused mm-hmm. for long enough, it just... Touch Me was kind of like the one bright spot on that record. Hmm. Okay. Otherwise, everyone is always just like, yeah, Touch Me is great. Rest of the album, garbage. Hmm. Okay. So, um, it's People say it's overproduced, that um, it's unfocused, that the, just the songs are just not as well written as songs on their other albums. But this song kind of kept them afloat, kept them moving forward at a time when the band was kind of at its lowest point. Surprisingly, uh-huh. that was not right before he died, but it was in 69. Um, and so this song, uh, have you ever seen, you've seen School of Rock, right? You mentioned it a lot. So. Have you never seen School of Rock? I don't Rock? think I've actually watched it all the oh way Oh my god. I, there was definitely a point where it was on the TV and I watched parts of it, but. We need to sit down together and watch that. Okay. Because, I mean, it's literally a movie about rock and roll. Okay. Uh, But there's a scene where he's trying to figure out which kids are good at what instruments Jack Black is. Mm -hmm. And so he gets the the piano kid over to the keyboard. And he puts some sheet music in front of him and it's Touch Me. And he's going bum bum ba da dum dum da 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 dum da da dum dum da 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 And, of course, Jack Black starts saying, come on, come on, come on, now touch me. But then he says, Lawrence is good at piano. Yes, he knows how to rock the show. <laughs> and so I'd always I'd always remembered that scene, because that movie came out, I saw it in theaters when I was like 11 or 12, mm-hmm. before I even liked rock and roll. In fact, that's kind of the movie that piqued my interest a little bit mm. on rock and roll. Um, although it wouldn't manifest until a couple years later. Right. But... Um, I heard the song much, much, much later, probably about 10 years afterwards, and um, knowing it was The Doors, and then here I was just like, oh, I know this, that's the the Piano School of Rock song. Mm-hmm. 
And so I instantly liked it because of that. Hmm. And yeah, this is just, this is, I would say the most pop oriented of all of the songs on, on this list and probably really of their whole career. Mm -hmm. Um, there's not really a lot of the, um, the provocative intensity of the rest of their work in there. And you could tell it's a very subdued Jim Morrison singing on this record mm-hmm. and on this song. Mm-hmm. But it's a very beautiful song. I, I, I actually kind of like his voice on this one. Yeah, it's... it's, it it's kinda, I told you it kind of sounded like Frank Sinatra. Yeah, which, funny enough, was his all-time favorite singer. There you go. That so, would make a lot of sense. Uh-huh. Frank Sinatra, because he saw himself as the, the crooner of the next generation. Um... Because when he's not, like, maniacally screaming, that's where he resides, is in a crooning range. Right. Um, he always viewed crooning as this very masculine way of singing, because he saw Frank Sinatra as just, like, the manliest of all men. <laughs> you know, which, it's kind of hard to argue against that. He, you know... Right. And so that's what he was trying to go for, um... He even went as far as to make sure that he had the same vocal microphone that Frank Sinatra used. <laughs> Don't you love it whenever those observations tie into what's real? What, what's actually, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the other observations I had about this song was uh, it's the same rhythm, or parts of this song are the same rhythm as the main riff of Break On Through. Yeah, I, I don't kind know of. if that ties into anything, like if that's a rhythm that they use all the time. No, not know, really. Because it's kind of bouncy. You know, it's really, yeah. It's really. Uh, I think a lot of that music. comes from John Densmore. Just he he loved to experiment with um, like Latin American beats. So and, drummer, right? Yes. Okay, major. Sure. Because <laughs> um, he's kind of the one that brings that. He likes to pull drum beats from different genres, different cultures, mm. and kind of, you know, experiment instead of just doing the rock four on the floor. Do, can, do, do, can, do. You know, he, it's about that. He's a very mm-hmm. underrated drummer. He gets <laughs> eclipsed by the other members of the band, even Robbie. Mm-hmm. Robbie Krieger is considered one of the great guitar players. Mm. But John Densmore kind of always gets left in the shadows. And I think that's unfair of him because he's a he great He's left on the left side of the mix. That's what happens. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, no, yeah, I did like all the different drum beats in these songs, all the different rhythms. Mm-hmm. Um, he gets pretty creative. Yeah, which, you know, from somebody who listens to straight 4-4 most of the time, it's kind of nice to have something different. So, yeah. I mean, all these songs were... were well outside of my wheel well and the fact that I still like them I think is a testament to their songwriting ability mm-hmm. and the fact that it's not really even pop no like really I would I mean, say Touch Me is the only one that I say verges on that level right most of it is kind of that bluesy some jazz yeah. thrown in there mm-hmm. um, and just kind of something that was really unique to them yeah no one else really sounded like The Doors yep they created something that was so specific to them that right. yes, they influenced, but they were never duplicated. And and one of the songs that I think really exemplifies that is the next song. Mm-hmm. Look at that transition. Yeah, um, I was <laughs> hoping you wouldn't say anything. We just keep moving. Called um, "Light My Fire." Yes, the I would say the biggest Doors song. It was one of their two songs to go to number one, mm-hmm. and uh, off the debut record. Yes, so 
So this was the song that really made them big stars very quickly. Mm -hmm. um, partly due to a very famous and infamous at the same time uh, appearance on the Ed Sullivan Show. Ooh. So, for those of you who have not listened to our Beatles episode, the Ed Sullivan Show is most known for having the first American television performance by the Beatles. Uh-huh, uh, that, yeah. that That first day that they arrived in America. And you New couldn't York, even hear the Beatles because of the crowd. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, you could, you could hear them fairly well on the TV just because they kept the audience restrained mm -hmm. somehow. Yeah. Um, but that is, that was like the most, as far as the percentage of people in America that watched, the most watched uh, segment of TV in history. Hmm. Obviously, there's a lot more people that watch today just because there's more people mm -hmm. on the planet. Right. But as far as the percentage of just people watching the same thing, everyone watched the Beatles. That's and so crazy. the Ed Sullivan show after that became this place to where, you know, if you can hit big when you're starting out at the Ed Sullivan show, then you can have the same trajectory as the Beatles. Mm -hmm. So they went on there to do Light My Fire, obviously a much shorter version because they're not yeah. going to have the, the five-plus minutes of keyboard guitar yeah. exploration. Yeah. Um, but they were told before the show that you're not allowed to say, um, you know, if I were to say to you, girl, we couldn't get much higher. Because, again, mm -hmm. that's, that's a drug reference. You can't do that. But Jim Morrison did it anyway. Yes, he did. And I was wondering what you were trying to say about that because he had just shown me the video before we recorded this segment and I didn't notice anything weird necessarily mm -hmm. oh, they got other him. other than Jim Morrison looking kind of depressed at the end well <laughs> I wouldn't say he looked depressed I think he like I think he realized that he just made himself an icon and he's just kind of giving that stare into the camera just like yes I am your god now <laughs> <laughs> Uh, um, so, but yeah, they got in big trouble after that, and, and they're just like, you will never play on this show again. And the, their response was, but we already did. <laughs> so, yeah, sorry, there you go. we don't need to play again. We've already made our, our mark, and now that's a That's a very good point. And sure enough, the single went right to number one. Yep. And I've heard it described as kind of the perfect song for the summer of love. Mm -hmm. And a real... A, one of the first true shifts to more um, sexually provocative lyrics mm -hmm. in rock music. Um, they, they, I heard someone say, you know, at the same time the Beatles were saying, all you need is love. Kind mm -hmm. of talking about, you know, let's have love in the world, peace, harmony. But, mm -hmm. the, but the Doors were saying, come on, baby, light my fire. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like back in that day, you couldn't say even stuff like, you know, you turn me on. Like, mm -hmm. it's just, that was such, it was so repressed during that period mm -hmm. to say, come on, baby, light my fire. That was asking for trouble, mm -hmm. but it just shows that the, the youth was ready for that, for that, um, that signal. Yeah. That message. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, but funny enough, the song was not written by Jim Morrison. It was written by Robbie Krieger. The uh, the lyrics. Mm -hmm. And the song in general. And the song in general. Mm -hmm. The guitar player wrote a song for a three-minute keyboard part. Yep. <laughs> uh, originally, his idea of the song was very different. It was kind of a very folky, very calm song. Hmm. And just kind of evolved into this 
big monster towards the end. It was also one of the last songs written for the album. They realized that they had space missing. Hmm. And and Jim Morrison was just like, I've like written all the songs. Can you guys write something? Yeah. And Robbie <laughs> Krieger came back later and was just like, I got this song. It's called Light My Fire. And turns mm-hmm. out it ends up being their biggest song. <laughs> now, Jim Morrison did write the words to the second verse, the kind mm-hmm. of the more poetic, you know, part. Mm-hmm. Um, the time for hesitations through, no time to wallow in the mire. Mm-hmm. Try now we can only use and our love become a funeral pyre. Mm. Um, and Robbie was just like, Jim, why do you have to always make everything about death? Because <laughs> you look at the first verse, you know it would be untrue. You know I'd be a liar if I were to say to you, girl, we couldn't get much higher. Much more simple. Yeah. A little more conventional, minus the let's get high mm-hmm. part. And then Jim Morrison comes in with the second verse, and it's a lot more... Death. Yeah, <laughs> a lot more existential and philosophical. Yeah. While wow. still while still talking about you know you light my fire baby, right. <laughs> so, uh, oh, so it just you know it's kind of cool to see the two different songwriters in the same song kind of interpreting the central message in a different way. Hmm, that's a good point. You you see both sides, and and you um you mentioned earlier the really intricate keyboard part yeah so that song. that very iconic line i mean just like that's so it's such a weird line but it, it is but it works and the fact that it starts out the song is major cheese but mm-hmm. when when they end the solo section go back into it it's a great transition and i think it works I love so it right well there. for the end of this right when you think it's going to end with fire and then they go yeah, I love it when it, it's that that little fake out ending there, and mm-hmm. they just let's let's run the riff one more time. Right, right. Um, let's talk so, about the solos. Yes, um, they were okay. So I noticed mix wise, at least the keyboard took center stage for the solo. Obviously, oh yeah. And then he had his keyboard solo, and, and kind of took center stage it, for the guitar solo it, too. Well, well, yeah, yeah. So then the keyboard kind of faded back into the right channel. Mm-hmm. And then the guitar just came in with that, like, slide in or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he and he plays a little bit. So there's the big, long, epic keyboard solo. And then the guitar comes in. And after that, there is that, like, bump, 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 bump. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. All over the same riff the whole time. Yeah. If you, yeah, the whole, the whole solo section, they're just bouncing between two chords the whole mm-hmm. time. Yes. While at the same time kind of changing it up every now and again just to keep it fresh. Right. Also, I wanted to take this opportunity to see if you've noticed anything interesting or unique about Robbie Krieger's playing. Because there's a there's an aspect to the way he plays that's pretty unorthodox. I wanted to see it just as you as a guitar um, player if you're if is, you pick up it, on it. Is it that he upstrokes all the time? Um I wouldn't say that that in of itself is it, but what I think what he's doing is causing that to be more prevalent. Okay. Um, oh, does, does he string his guitar backwards? I don't know. Nope. I have no idea. Okay, he doesn't play me. with a pick. He does everything finger. Oh. Because he was originally a classical guitarist, like flamenco style. Because it sounded like 
I mean, you mentioned that, and I was thinking of that line, and then I'm like, oh, it kind of sounds like he's just upstroking. Mm-hmm. Which but would make sense. Would make sense, because that that what you do with your fingers. Uh-huh. But so he, he didn't pick up an electric guitar for the first time until, like, right before they made their first album. Hmm. I mean, obviously he knew how to play guitar, but right. not electric guitar. So he doesn't use a pick. He just fingers everything, which I think is really cool. Mm-hmm. And once you know that, you kind of notice, okay, that's... Why his, that's why he played it this way. That's why he. That's why it sounds this way. That's why he's he's able to play those notes in that way. Mm-hmm. So I was just curious if your ear was picking I, up on that. Since you're a guitar player, if you were just like, he, yeah. wait a second, this I don't understand why this sounds like this. And if you had done any, yeah, investigative work, yeah, I I probably would not have figured that out if I was really listening to like, if you had said, Hey, he has something weird about his technique. I probably still would not have gotten it. Hmm. I, I didn't know if I wasn't because like so for sure there. that you would, I just would. It's so out there to like not use his pick for rock and roll. Uh huh. There's another <laughs> very famous guitar player. That's like that too. Who is, um, that is Mark Knopfler. Okay. I don't know who that is. The guitarist for dire straits. Really? Yep. Because he, I want to say he learned on a banjo first and just translated it over to guitar. That's why Money for Nothing is such a ridiculously hard song for people to learn. Oh. Because, because he's, you, yeah. have to, you have to play it fingers. You have to play with fingers. Yeah, I know what you're talking about now. Okay. You've got to use your thumb. You've got to use. I got you your, now. I mean, you watch the video and you can see that that's, he's playing it like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lindsey Buckingham does the same thing from Fleetwood Mac. Mm-hmm. He doesn't exclusively not use a pick, but he uses finger picking a lot. That's how he gets some of his crazy solos. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. So. Anyway. Okay. Next song. Yeah. So we have this. We have this big. We've got these two short songs in this big epic song. Right. And so that leads us into another pretty epic song. L.A. Woman, off of the album L.A. Woman. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, so this was the last album that they made before right. Jim Morrison died, and mm-hmm. I want to say it was out a month before he passed away. Mm. Um, and this was a lot of people before he died were saying that this was their comeback record mm. because um, he had kind of gotten through all of his legal issues. He was still drinking, but at the time he was able to kind of control it enough to where. He was able to give some better performances and and get some better songs written. Mm-hmm. Um, and the band just kind of overall decided to like almost return to their roots because they mm-hmm. were they were first and foremost a blues band, right? And you can really feel the blues influence hard on this song in particular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and um, oh, I had something to say about it. But... I think this is also the best sounding. Doors oh yeah, it was it was really close to being my favorite song as well because so this was what I was gonna pick was your favorite song. It was it was really close. It came in second place, but um, don't spoil it for me. I'm not gonna spoil it for you now. I and, now I'm really confused by what it is. <laughs> and uh, uh, you're probably gonna be mad at me when I tell you which one it is. But I'm not gonna be mad because <laughs> I like all these songs. But um, this. I think this is one that you mean by them having really, like, jarring lyrics for what is at the time. Mm-hmm. Right. And 
this also shows is at the same time a lot of their blues influence. Mm-hmm. Um, because there is that uh, there's a lot of piano involved, right? Yeah. Um, yeah there's that the piano solo the piano, is the piano so good. So, it, it, it sounds like ragtime or something. Very, very. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. But there's also a keyboard part. Very bright, very yeah, because he's got the he's got the I want to um, say it's a Fender Rhodes that he's playing that kind of mm-hmm. get that warm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And um, by the way, I'm, I yeah. hope you guys all tolerate me just like spouting out random noises from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, to get the point across, it. it yeah, because we can't play the songs on here, so. Right. If only we could. I know that'd be but, the um, ideal thing. We play the song and then we talk yeah. about it. The, uh, this song kind of uh i mean you have the normal i'm kind of go, gonna go out of order as far as the song structure but there's a breakdown in the middle yeah you know Don, john did, dinsmore's idea they it, were jamming and he just randomly kind of slowed the song down and they were ooh. like oh okay let's let's go there and it was it was kind of cool because you're like "Ooh, what are they gonna do now mr mojo rising yeah and then there and any idea what that means no idea it's an anagram of jim morrison mojo Mr. Mojo Ryzen. Mojo. Then it slowly picks up the, the pace. Mm-hmm. Very, and, yeah, and as very soon as, heavy. As soon as I figured out what they were doing, I was like, oh, yeah, let's go. Because it comes right back into the original tempo. Uh-huh. And, oh, man, that was really cool. I think that that's the, that's the section that really, like, elevates the song to that next level of, from a, oh, this is a really cool blues throwback to a, this is a really interesting song. Yeah, and and all these songs had a great part to them, uh-huh. and that that kind of set them apart from just being so templates. Yeah, nothing about them was template. Right. Well, some some of them about they were template. Some of some things about these songs were template, like this song, but they added this part in here mm-hmm. that made it something special. Yes, and uh, that's that's what I enjoyed about this song. The rest of it was kind of cookie cutter, even yeah. though the piano solo was great. And for me, just sometimes it's just about like letting the song like take where it feels, where you feel. Yeah. Like it's it's this song in a lot of places is not about listening to the individual parts, but just mm-hmm. like letting the overall experience yes. just kind of like you can get lost in it. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's an important part mm-hmm. of this song. Now, a really interesting thing about this is how different Jim Morrison's voice sounds. Sounds like Chuck Berry to me. And especially because in the opening verse lines, he'll sing something and then Robert will play a little line. Because you, you asked me if this was Chuck Berry when I, we were listening to it. And I was yeah. just like, I mean, I could understand on this song, but I don't think that Chuck Berry would have made Light My Fire or... Yeah. Touch me. Okay, like. yeah, but I didn't know all of Chuck Berry's stuff, okay? I was just going off of Johnny Be Good. Yeah. Which, um, I mean, Chuck Berry's a guitar player, so songs with very low guitar probably would not have been I, his e- thing. E- we'll do a Chuck Berry episode <laughs> at some point so you know what the definitive Chuck Berry sound yeah, is. Yeah, okay. Um, but this is, when I told my dad we were doing The Doors, um, this was the song he referenced as The Doors being bad. Because he's like, oh, I don't like the doors. But no, 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 Like, that's the actual sound he made <laughs> to make fun of the doors. And that's what this song is in the verse, but it's not at all that trivial. And I'm glad See, I was I, able to step away 
fast enough from his opinions of music that I was able to actually appreciate. You know, it's the funny thing is that my dad also hates the Doors. I would say that it's the band that he hates the most. Hmm. Particularly just because he hates Jim Morrison. He thinks oh. that he's overrated. He thinks that he's a he's a, a drunken madman well, he is. pretending to be a poet. Which wow. I disagree with that point. Oh. Although I I believed him for a long time. Just because I was just like, well, I respect my dad's musical opinion. So if he says the doors suck, then I guess the doors suck. <laughs> but then I kept hearing songs. And I'm just like, oh, but I like this song. Right. And I would say it wasn't until about five or six months ago that I kind of was just like, eh, screw it. I'm, I'm going to decide I like them and I don't care if he <laughs> disagrees with me. Right, right. So uh, but I actually just really love everything about the song. I love how the verses sound. I... I really like Robbie Krieger's like little interjections, like you know he do. Yeah, like I just like that's it. call and response. That's yeah. classic music blues. That's classic blues. blues. I mean, just music in general. Well, you it's know. because they took it from the blues. Right. That was a blues thing fairly exclusively, as far as the, right. that vocal guitar interaction. Mm-hmm. That's like Robert Johnson pretty much created that. It's it's very it's very much like the interlude of dazed and confused. Yeah. Only less weirdness. Yeah. And more just traditional blues. Uh, I just I love melodically what the song does. Um, I just love everything about the song. I don't have any complaints for it. So. Okay. I don't. Need so that. we have another epic, two epics in a row. Right. So we kind of got to wind things down a little bit. And the. The way that you chose the song, I don't know how you could have chosen a better song because the opening line of this next song, The Crystal Ship, mm-hmm. off of their self-titled, yep. is Before You Slip Into Unconsciousness. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, this is like the prologue to some other epic. I, I felt Origi- like it, Originally it was. And, and I, I feel like it served well to the song that you put there anyway. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um... And it's also just a good song. It's it's kind of a... <sighs> Sounds like it? something you'd hear at, like, Incredible Pizza. <laughs> <laughs> so this is, um... This song, I feel, really sets the tone for... Again, it's just, it's almost like a... A forewarning of what's... Of the darkness to come. Hmm. And... Originally, I had a much, much darker song as the final song. Hmm. And I, I eventually kind of convinced myself, if people have never heard The Doors before, I think this song would freak them out. And so let's go with another dark <laughs> song that's much more accessible. Yeah. And I was just like, I can always return to this song later. Yeah. It's, Part two. Volume two. Yeah. Those of you that are that are big time Doors fans, I bet you have an idea of what I was intending originally. Because I mean, up until the about the day before, I presented the songs to you i i had a different song in the end spot hmm. and i was just like uh i just i can't do it hmm. okay but originally my my goal was let's put the crystal ship here as just kind of like this it's it's like it's it's romantic but at the same time it's just it's got this weird dark energy to it mm-hmm. um you know just that whole opening line before you slip into unconsciousness Right. I'd like to have another kiss. It's mm-hmm. just like, why are why is someone going unconscious? Yeah, is, hmm. this, is this drugs? Is it? I mean, hmm. you know, crystal meth really wasn't the 
drug of choice at that time, so I don't think that that's what they mean by the crystal ship. Well, I mean, you never know. I, I don't <laughs> think it was. Yeah. Um, although the crystal ship could be very mer- metaphorical of the, the, uh, the trip that you take. Maybe. Yeah, okay, I can see that, actually. I think it's more symbolic of that. Um, but this is just a really beautiful song. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, it's another one of the short ones. Yep. It's kind of a little break, like it's, you it's said. A, it's, a, it's a moment to breathe. And especially because it's lower energy compared to L.A. Woman, mm-hmm. you know, which we just came off of. Yeah. Uh, and for lack of a better term, it's a palate cleanser. Yes, it is. It's exactly what I intended. Even it to though be. it has its own, it stands well line. on its own because this is one of the considered one of the iconic Doors songs. Mm-hmm. Even though it was never released as a single, it's kind of like one of those that now people look back and go, "That was one of the great Doors songs." Mm-hmm. Um, but then, yeah, we get we. It's almost just like I think it ends up being very appropriate that we're leaving on the crystal ship. And we sail into the storm. Yes. To the final song of the set, Riders on the Storm. Yes. So now I know that this is your favorite door no, song. No, it is not. We're not there yet. I said my favorite song of the set. Oh! <laughs> so what was your favorite door song? Uh, L.A. Woman. Okay. So this is my favorite so, door song. Okay. This, this is... Uh, did we talk about Black... No, we talked about Black Sabbath for... Uh, for, for yeah. Soundgarden, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Um, which, actually, we, we recorded the, that part of that episode, to, you know, 50 minutes ago. But, um, kind of, we talked about Black Sabbath having that... The sound effects. The sound effects to intro everything mm-hmm. and set the atmosphere. Yeah. This does the same thing, and it does it really well. Uh-huh. Especially because you have those cymbals come in and the little bass line. The and oh. talk about the perfect keyboard sound. Yep. Absolutely perfect. It sounds like rain falling. It do- I was about to say the exact thing. It sounds like rain falling on like a on like a metal roof, or mm-hmm. you know, just tingling down. Especially mm-hmm. when he does that. I was just thinking about that. Oh my goodness! Yeah, they did a really good job of just everything fitting the motif of the song. And imagine also if that if those rain effects weren't in there. I think that it just, it's what brings the whole it, song it, it wouldn't be the same. Mm-mm. And it's, I don't know if it, does it keep going through Yeah, it song? goes through the whole song. Through the whole song. It just, there's points where it, you know, it, it comes in and out more prominently in the mm-hmm. mix. Yeah, because I, I didn't really pay much attention to that. I was paying more attention to the keyboards. Yeah. Because, you know, this is, they're pretty This good. whole <laughs> song is, is Rick Manzarek's masterpiece, in my opinion. Yep. Ray Manzarek, not Rick Manzarek. Well... I don't know his name, so you can fool me. Yeah, <laughs> um, because this is that that solo in the middle is just mm-hmm. perfection, absolute mm-hmm. perfection, and the way that it it ends with that descending line again, and it and it breaks, and you hear the thunder come in, and you're yeah. just like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. the atmosphere is just perfect, and then they come back in. Yeah, yeah, that that point where uh... oh, I thought you were talking about the very end. But there is that one point where they have the break, the, yeah, and then a, and then was it two keyboards or was it a keyboard and guitar? Because it almost sounded like it was a keyboard and a guitar doing a little bit of like, do you know what part I'm talking about? The when the bow 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 do do at the towards the very end. Towards the end, where it's just the rain 
mm-hmm. and what sounds like just keyboard and maybe guitar right before the drums come back in. I think it's just keyboard. Okay. Because he's, cause he's, he starts off the high end of the keyboard, goes all the way to the low end, then kind of does the, that little, that bum, dum, bum, bum. The kind guitar, of, yeah. the guitar isn't back in yet, I'm pretty sure. He, it comes in once the drums come in. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the thing that makes this song so foreboding is that this is the final song on their final record. Oh, man. So, like, this is the song that closes the album right before he dies. And so it, it gives it that extra sense of dread to it. Like oh, he, man. Like, he's, he's going into the storm of the afterlife, in a way. Kind of like he's going out to the storm never to return. That is dark. Oh, my goodness. But at the same time, it's those things that make this song just feel so powerful. Like, it's just, the whole time, it's like, there's no there's no optimism in the song, but at the same time, it doesn't, like, completely crush you with its darkness, because yeah. it's just, because it's cool, yeah. it exudes that coolness, and that, you know, yes, it's in the middle of the storm, but there's this strange serenity to it, mm-hmm. um, but I mean, you know, he's talking about a killer on the road, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, just... It's, it's, I can just envision just like either it's pouring down rain in the middle of the night on a deserted highway or like in the middle of the ocean, just pitch black. The rain is just relentless and it's just almost, it's, it's this song of going into the unknown. Mm -hmm. You you can actually picture the darkness when listening to this I would say this is their mo their song that they best create. A, a very strong image mm-hmm. when you're listening to it. I was actually listening to this song while driving here last week to record, um, and it was raining really bad, mm-hmm. and so yeah, I don't know, that even added more to it, more to the experience, which wasn't intended necessarily for mm-hmm. that to happen. But, yeah, um, yeah, this is my favorite door song. Yeah. And so I'm curious, what was the song you were going to play? So it was a song called "The End." Okay. Because I'm probably going to listen to that later. <laughs> okay, yeah, we can, uh, we can listen to it after we record this. Because, man, it's, it's an 11-minute song. Uh-huh. And, God, it's so dark, but it's so good at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it's a song that I feel like, for a decade, no one quite matched how dark it got. And what was the match? Uh, the match? The match. What was the song that matched it? I would say it was when, like... You started getting like darker. I, I guess like maybe you know Black Sabbath kind of reached that level of, mm-hmm. but just like there was just this weird derangement of the whole thing. I, I won't explain it now because I want to have that ammo for another episode. Mm-hmm. But the kind of the gist of it is is talking about the Oedipus complex, which I don't mm. know if you know mm-hmm. about. It's, it's, that is. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It's it gets it gets freaky. Okay. And the song was very famously used as the opening to the movie Apocalypse Now, mm. which I think gave even rose it even further. And the song and the song's called The End, which is perfect for an ending. Right. But I'll I'll get into into more depth. But I just I figured it's we're not quite ready for that yet. Yeah. Feel Riders on the Storm is a better way for people to listening to the doors for the first time. It, but it still matches the the darkness that I wanted to have at the end. Yeah, and it felt 
fitting to have the set start with their very first, first, first song, song and, and end with their very last song. Huh. So. That's really cool. I realized that after I settled, okay, let's do Rise on the Storm, and I was just like, okay, yeah. That, I think I made the right decision. That, that makes that makes this a really good set then. Because coming into this recording session, I was like, you know, this is kind of one of those average put-together sets. But knowing that, knowing those two things, that's the first one, that's the last one, um, I think completes... Seals the deal. Seals the deal. Completes the thing. Puts it on the level of, of Ghost as far as yeah. putting things together. I worked... I. I changed that set so many times, and I finally felt that I was like, okay, this is the one. This is the set that I want, mm-hmm. and I felt like it worked. Yeah. Um, that's all the songs. Yeah. By the Doors. So, so, we'll take a break, come back, we'll talk about the bonus song, which I guess now is your favorite song yeah. set. <laughs> I guess, I'm not mad about that at all. It's a great song. <laughs> so, uh, we'll be right back. Stay tuned. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We just finished talking about our set of Doors songs, and it's time to talk about the bonus song and our final thoughts. So, bonus song. What is a bonus song? The bonus song is a song from a band that necessarily probably wouldn't get their own episode uh, from either a lesser-known band or a less important band or just a band that does not have enough quality material for me to talk about them for an hour and a half. Right. Um... And usually I try and pick a band that has some kind of tenuous connection with the main artist that we're talking mm-hmm. about. But I'm not – don't ever think of either, you know, the bonus song being from a band that's, you know, terrible or that <laughs> I think the song's terrible. Right. It's either – I always try and make sure they're great songs. Mm-hmm. But just again, I'm, I'm not going to spend – an hour and a half talking about this particular band just because they weren't they didn't reach that right. level right and um, so that band is the cult the cult the song is love removal machine yes and this is also on the spotify playlist yes correct? it is yeah so if you want to listen to this song you can just click on the same kind of makes for a great finale for it, the set. oh it really does because it it sounds like a closer song in the fact that it's got a very generic uh riff chord it sounds like the closing credits to a movie. Yeah. That I play over oh the ending, my God. Yeah, ending credits. It does. A lot of times I'll pick an ending song if I feel like it has that vibe to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so this song was very much a bonus for me, being the fact that it's my favorite song of the seven that we reviewed today. Yeah. Um, so the connection. So I don't know the connection. So the singer's name is Ian Asbury. Mm-hmm. Um, and he... The Doors, the surviving members in the early 2000s did like a tribute show, and he was one of the singers that they had come out to replace Jim Morrison for Hmm. a lot of their songs. So that was when I was just like, oh, that's cool, and Love Removal Machine was a great song. Let's make that the bonus song. Yeah, so this is is a great song, Um, especially because of the fact that their instruments don't 
necessarily follow the door style. Yeah, but you can hear the you know? Jim Morrison influence you in the vocals. You can hear it in the vocals, but but the instruments are very different. In the, yeah. in, very much eighties rock. The the doors will their instruments will pretty much always be playing like some riff or some bass line or whatever. Mm-hmm. Whereas the main riff for Love Removal Machine is kind of just there's a lot of rests to it. Yeah, which is very common in rock. Mm-hmm. It's it's uh, a, it's a pure rock and roll song. Right. Even with a somewhat clean guitar tone mm-hmm. for 1984. 1987. Right? 1987. Goodness. You yeah. told me like two minutes ago. Yeah. I... <laughs> uh, this is definitely, they were kind of among the wave of bands along with Guns N' Roses that kind of like were moving away from the hair metal sound mm-hmm. and just kind of more going to let's bring back a purer version of rock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, you can definitely hear it in this. Because mm-hmm. um, it sounds a lot more modern. Doesn't okay. sound dated like it had to be from the 80s. Yeah. Like a lot of the music we're going to talk about in our next episode. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm excited for the next episode. Um, and and uh, I was telling you, I did think it was from earlier, like 10 years ago, because it sounds kind of modern. Yeah. It sounds like a band today, almost like Greta Van Fleet is trying to do a throwback. Yeah, sound. it kind of does have a throwback feel to it, but it was thrown back to present day. Almost, right. I guess maybe even, <laughs> even throwing back a little bit to the seventies. Yeah. Kind of more, almost like classic ACDC or something. Oh, I can hear that. Yeah, that's true. Um, but anyway, and then this song, um, kind of towards the end, or I should say, at the end, has that Paradise City, you know, uh, all of a sudden you think, the, you think the sing, you think the song's over, and then all of a sudden it yeah, it yeah, and goes another crazy solo. Yep. And yeah. And so that's that's why it's a good closer, is because yeah. it has that little extra spurt of energy at the end uh-huh. to kind of close things off. Yeah. And then a little bit of a trash can, and we're done. Yeah. So yeah, I probably wouldn't <laughs> talk too much about the cult like as their right. own thing, but this is a great song that I feel like people should know about. Yes, definitely listen to this song. It's it's underrated. It's yeah. kind of undiscovered a little bit, except for people that know it exists. Like it's not one you're gonna hear on radio, really, or right. It's so kind of more of an underground hit. Anyway, I think it's time for final thoughts. Yes. Yeah, so this is gonna be interesting because you had never listened to the Doors before. Never so listened. To the this Doors. is this is a true like first impression. Yes, and the um, only uh, I should say, what's the word I'm looking for? I'd only ever heard of the doors through the fact that I knew that the doors existed mm-hmm. and I had heard the phrase light my fire before yeah. as being a song. Mm-hmm. I'd seen pictures of Jim Morrison, but I didn't know who he was. Um, and so all of this music I was hearing for the very first time. Uh, and Which is always, that's when my job's the most fun. And I think, honestly, I think the only reason that Love Removal Machine was my favorite song of the set is because I heard it most recently. Mm-hmm. Because obviously I'll listen to all the songs in the order. Yeah, and every that's time the, that's the one that you're stuck with, right? And every time each song would come on, I'd be like, "Oh, I remember this song not being quite as good. It's a lot better than I remember. I think that's my favorite song now." And then the next song would come on, and I'm like, "Oh, but this song is just so good too." And it was it was it was hard. It's like choosing your favorite car. Yeah, you know, <laughs> or your favorite door. Um, uh, uh, car door. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but um, no, it was. Uh, these songs were distinct enough that they each had their own 
like emotion to them, their own style, and uh, fun different musical journeys that they took you on, and uh, but still being the Doors. And so I really enjoyed the Doors, and I wouldn't say I'm at the point where I could say I want to become a Doors fan, mm-hmm. but I do like all of these songs. Good. So that's my final thoughts. Well, my uh, appreciation for the Doors went up. <laughs> researching for this episode. As, surprise. As, as you guys have learned, though, that doesn't always happen. Like with Soundgarden, I kind of still remained where I was. Right. But, you know, for the doors, yes, it has gone up. Mm-hmm. Because this is the first time that I really delved into them. Because, again, like I said, for a while, I kind of blindly didn't like them because I was told to. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, and so I didn't, I never really explored what they really meant as a band. Mm -hmm. And this was the first time I got to do that and really just go, wow, okay, Mm -hmm. I get it. Yeah. And, and I was studying late last night, um, with one of my friends and, uh, I was listening to these songs and touch me was on and, um, he grabs one of my headphones and sticks it in his ear. And he's the kind of guy who likes the most modern stuff. Like whatever's Mm -hmm. on today's top hits, that's what he's listening to. Mm Mm-hmm. And he, he hears about 10 seconds of Touch Me, and he says, this is a direct quote, wow, this is a bop. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I might make him that's, a Doors That's fan. what I do this podcast I might for. make him a Doors fan. For those moments. Yes. For people that don't know, and then they hear it and they go, oh, this old music's pretty good. Yeah. So that was, that was a really cool moment to like see him listening to something that's well outside of his wheel well and still appreciate it. Yeah. Because that's what this podcast is for me, and I hope it's that for the listeners. Um, so, yeah. Awesome. All that to say. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. Uh, we will have another one ready for you guys Monday morning, 9 a.m. Central. We're going to be going to the 80s. And Woo. talking about one of Grant here's favorite bands. Yes, that he is He was true. very excited when he found out what we were going to be talking about. Oh, yeah. So I'm really excited to, to hear all of your uh, nerdy stuff regarding this. <laughs> yes. So don't miss it. It's going to be a great episode. Um, and uh, don't forget to leave us a review. Leave us a rating. Um, check out our Spotify playlist to listen to all of our songs. As well as, if you want to support this channel, there's a link in the episode description there as well to uh, send us a monthly donation. We would really appreciate it. And that's it. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. Keep on listening to good music. See you guys next time.